you pray with me? Lord, that's, um, that's such a powerful statement. Say that by your spirit we're alive and the resurrected king is resurrecting us to a whole new life now and a life eternal and just, Lord, thank you. Thank you for conquering death and sin and Satan and for loving us. Father, thank you for sending your son. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would work in our hearts right now, that you would speak to us through the word that we might understand more fully and respond more completely with hearts and lives of worship to the fact that everything's changed. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I wanna start by asking you a question um, and that's, why are you here? And um, I, I mean that in a serious kind of reflective way. Why are you here? You can think probably a lot of different ideas. Uh, you may think circumstantially, um, well, it's Easter Sunday, right? And I go to church on Easter Sunday. Maybe you don't go to church other times, but you do on Easter Sunday. Or maybe you're in church all the time, and this is a day to particularly worship Jesus or maybe you're here because a friend brought you or a family member. Maybe you drive by and you see the place and you said this is a good day to try it out. There's all different kinds of circumstances that cause us to make the choices that we make. And those are all valid answers. Uh, you might be feeling a little snarky and you wanna be, uh, say well the reason I'm here is because my car brought me. I got into it this morning, I turned the key, and uh, the engine fired up, and you could even go into great detail about explaining internal combustion and, and whatever, and, and kind of be a little snarky about it, but it would still be a true answer, right? It's a valid answer, I'm here because my car brought me. Some of you live close by, maybe your feet brought you. Um, those are valid, but I'm asking a deeper question. And I'm asking us to think deeper than we sometimes do. It's easy for us to just think on the surface, especially with circumstances. And I'm asking us to think about the purposes behind them. Let me read you a verse out of the uh, book of Ephesians that I find very, very interesting and significant. Um, sometimes we think things are random and uh, we don't necessarily see reason to them. But there's reason to everything. And in Ephesians 1, it speaks of God who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That means that God is working in everything to accomplish a purpose, right? And there's the intersection of my circumstances, the intersection of my choices, the intersection of the things that are going on just at the level that I tend to focus on and God's eternal purposes, and at that intersection, he accomplishes things that I may or may not even be aware of, but that are foundational, right? You have a reason that you're here this morning, but God does too. There's something deeper that he's doing, and um, we don't always see that, especially in the moment sometimes um, things unfold and we just kind of go with it and we don't know what's going on, we may not understand, we may not like, and we may not see God very easily, but he's in it. Um, it was one year ago today that I saw God in fresh ways. This, uh, just, just a week and a half ago, I turned 55. 
So I get to now move into a retirement community if I want to, and I get discounts at Denny's and nice things like that. And pretty much everyone on the staff, save maybe one, are younger than me. So I walked into the office to much mockage. There were black balloons and all kinds of quotes on the wall and uh, insulting things and um, lovely gifts that I didn't get to keep but I got to use for the moment, one of which was a walker. (laughs) So trying to be a good sport, I used the walker around the office and my wife happened to be there and she was snapping pictures and she snapped a picture of me in that walker and later in the day she was looking at that and she said, ooh, too close to home and deleted it because it was one year ago, April 21st, that I was in the hospital unconscious and nobody knew what was going on. Just came out of nowhere, it seemed random, what happened? Everything's fine, he's healthy and strong and then we don't even know if he's fighting for his life, we don't even know if he's gonna be normal again, not that he ever was, but that he might be some semblance of normal again. And the doctor's talking about all kinds of things. He said, we're checking for you know, West Nile. I don't think that's it. Checking for encephalitis. I don't think that's it. We're, we're checking into seizures. And here's what I think's going on, though. I think he's had a stroke. I think he's had a stroke in his processing center, which means he'll still be physically strong, but he won't be able to think or communicate. Which, when your whole life is built around thinking and communicating, that's, well, that's a game changer. But I didn't know that was going on because I was the one who wasn't thinking or communicating. My wife was the one processing that. She asked, what can we do? He said, nothing. Palliative care. This is the new reality. That was one year ago, April 21st. And she went home that night thinking, life is forever different and really hard. She got a call early on Sunday morning from my nephew who said, everything's changed. He's awake, I mean, when I mean awake, I mean he's awake. So one year ago on Sunday, the the date and the day shift a day every year, so. One year ago on Sunday was when she saw me using the walker because they made me use that if I was gonna get out of bed. And she said, well, that's too close to home. I don't want a picture of that. Random, came out of the blue, what was that all about? That's one way of looking at it. But if I understand that God is working all things out according to the counsel of his will and that there's an intersection between the choices and circumstances of my life and his eternal purposes, then there's always something going on. In fact, he makes a promise in Romans 8 that says, for those who love me and are called according to my purposes, I work everything for good. That means he was doing something good there because I love him and I'm called according to his purposes. In the moment, it's really hard to see, but you look back and and, and I see amazing things God's done, amazing ways that he's worked in my heart to open me to new things, amazing things he's done in my family, amazing things he's done in this family. That's a a marker point, I think, for us, a watershed moment, and a lot of things changed substantially for the better in that. Why? I, I, I I still don't know, but at least in part, It was the intersection of the circumstances of life and the will of God to work out some greater purpose. Things aren't random, even when they seem that way. I was thinking about that this week. A friend of mine years ago, cop, sheriff, 
had an area he was patrolling, and his sergeant kept him in to catch up on paperwork because he'd fallen behind. There'd been a lot going on. They brought in somebody else to do the circuit. That guy was shot and killed. Well, my friend was at his desk doing paperwork. Random? I don't think so. As far as the guy who lost his life, tragically, Scripture is really clear that God has numbered every single one of our days. Nothing's going to change that. We're responsible for how we use those days and even how we care for ourselves and the decisions we make. But at the end of the day, there's a time that God has ordained, and it was obviously that man's time. For whatever reason, God was working it out. And it wasn't time for my friend. It wasn't random, though it seemed that way. Um, I, I went to a church years ago that had a random bolt of lightning change everything for them. Um, very small, struggling church. And a, a lightning struck the church right, right there in the middle of a storm, blew a hole right through the roof, which was the greatest blessing they could imagine because they had a baptistry that had rusted out and bought a new one and they got it delivered the day of the lightning bolt and they couldn't fit it in any of the doors. The original one had been built in place. There were no walls, and they couldn't get it into the building, and they don't have the money. What are we going to do? And they went home and prayed, and the next thing you know, lightning strikes the church right over the baptistry, blows a hole in the roof, and the insurance company pays for the crane to lower the new baptistry in place. <laughs> Random? Circumstances of life intersecting the purposes of God. No, somebody who sat down randomly to a, next to a person on a plane, a random seatmate, by the end of the plane ride, they had a relationship that resulted in massive amounts of financial need in the person I know, in their life being met. Thousands of dollars because they randomly sat next to somebody they didn't know. Maybe you want to take a moment and see who you're sitting next to. You, you never know. Is that random or is that the intersection of the circumstances of life and the sovereign will of God? Right in, in the good, in the bad, in the hard, and the beautiful, all of that stuff, we're told that God is at work. So I come back to this question. You had reasons why you left your house and came here this morning, but why are you really here? If you have a Bible, would you open it to Luke chapter 24? Luke chapter 24, if you're using the one from the, the seat or the, from the back that we gave you, it, it's page 831, if you want to follow along. Easter is really the ultimate expression of this intersection between the circumstances of life and the choices people make and God's ultimate purpose. In fact, I'll read you a verse on your way to Luke 24, just listen. This is uh, sometime afterwards, one of the people who was really significant, at least in the later section of Luke 24 we're going to look at, is a guy named Peter. You've probably heard of him. And he's preaching the very first sermon of the church. And amazing things have happened, and people are running together going, what is going on? And here's what he says. This is after he's had a time to reflect on all the circumstances that unfolded, and after God has taught him. Said, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. 
God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. People are making their choices. And yet, in the middle of that, there's this intersection where God is working out his will. And he says, um, definite plan of God was worked out. The foreknowledge of God came to fruition in the choices even that these people were making because things aren't random. God's at work. And Easter is example number one. In Luke 24, I want to read you an extended section of uh, one of the early Easter stories. This is Easter Sunday. And um, different followers of Jesus had different encounters and different responses. These are two people that hadn't seen him yet. That very day, verse 13, if you're there, verse 13, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and walking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, in word before God and all the people, how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and beside all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying they'd even seen a vision of angels who said to them he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, for it's toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. 
Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Here we have the ultimate example of how God is always at work intersecting his divine will with the circumstances and choices in our lives and we can even sometimes miss it even as his followers because we're so focused on the stuff in front of us. We get, we, we get cluttered vision because of all that we're thinking and all that's going on around us and we sometimes forget God's in everything. This amazing thing that's just happened to me, God's in it somewhere and he's doing something in it. This terribly difficult or painful thing that just happened, God's in it somewhere and he's doing something. There's nothing that happens in this world that he's not actively engaged in because he's working all things according to the good pleasure of his will and he works even with the choices that we make and weaves together this tapestry of his purpose. So I ask you again, why are you here? What's God's purpose? You made a choice to come. Thank you. Glad you did. But he's got something he's doing. What? What does he want for you this morning? Whatever it is, don't miss it. These guys actually had everything they needed to see what God was doing, and yet they, they lost it in the, in the clutter of their pain and in the clutter of the disappointment and, and, and the circumstances that were unfolding around them. They missed the crucifixion. They could have known that was gonna happen, and they missed it. Look, it says in verse 21, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. He is the one to redeem Israel. Yeah, but he's just been killed. Look at how he responds. Verse 25, he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe, all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things, enter into his glory? I told you that was going to happen. Why did you miss it? Well, because I don't know. I wasn't paying attention. Everything happened so fast, it was so hard. It's like, it doesn't matter. All that's going on, I'm at work in it. My purposes are intersecting with the choices that you're making and the circumstances you're experiencing and the hard things and the good things and the scary things. I'm, I'm in the middle of all of that. Told you this was gonna happen. They missed the resurrection too. Look in verse 37, later on it's the evening and all the disciples are gathered and Jesus appears in, in verse 37. They're startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he says, Basically, he says, get a grip. Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look, I'm not a ghost. I was, I've been telling people all day I'm real. You heard Peter. He told you I was real and I was alive. And you heard the two guys that were on the road, and they told you I was alive and I was real. And we also know from other sections there was at least one of the women who saw him and had a conversation with him and was telling, people are saying I'm alive and real, and here I am. I'm alive and real. And you're freaking out because you're still not understanding. Just because you see things at one level doesn't mean God's not doing something more, and something more has just broken in. It's extraordinary because the purpose of God are being accomplished even in this moment because that's the way God works. And this moment is when God fulfills the oldest promise he made. 
If you were here on Good Friday, we looked a little bit at this passage, Genesis chapter three. Just read you this promise God made. Adam and Eve have chosen to um, choose for themselves. God says, here's what I have for you, here's purposes, here's wonderful things to do. Sometimes we think God's all into rules and, and just right and wrong and all that, and there's, a, there's, a, there's certainly a place for ethics and holiness is a really important thing. I mean, I don't want to downplay that, but he gives them six commands, and five of them are about purpose and meaning and significance for the direction of their life. One of them is a rule that says, don't do this. And he has to do that because he has to create space for them to actually choose for or against him. If I don't have any way to choose for God or against God, I don't really have any dignity and responsibility. So he says, here's the one thing you can't do. Now you can choose, you can choose. And they choose to say, we get to call the shots. It's, we're in charge. We, we make the rules. We, we like what you've given us. Thanks for the world. Thanks for the garden. Thanks for all the cool things. Thanks for making us like you. And now we're going to make our own way which destroys everything, ruins God's world. It shakes a fist at God and says, I wish you were dead, because I want to be you. And in the midst of that, he gives them this promise because he loves them. And he says in verse 15, he's talking to Adam and Eve and to the serpent. Satan comes as a serpent, and and he takes him in reverse order. So he's talking to I'm sorry, he he takes him in, anyway, doesn't matter, the order. He's talking to the serpent here, and he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. In other words, she's gonna have a descendant one day that's gonna fix this. You're gonna be at war with him, and he's gonna come to do war. And he will bruise your head, and you will bruise his heel. You're gonna hurt him, but he's gonna destroy you. He's going to destroy the kingdom that you're setting up. He's going to overthrow that, and he's going to set up his own kingdom. He's going to set up my kingdom. He's going to destroy everything that you've done to ruin the world in order to make it right again, and he's going to rescue the people that you're holding captive. You're going to hurt him, but he's going to kill you. He's going to wipe you out. Easter Sunday is when God kept that promise. On Good Friday, so much was accomplished But it's behind the scenes, we can't see it. On Easter Sunday when Jesus rises from the dead, it's clear, it's done. Satan's defeated. Oh, he's still running around, but his power's been stripped and his kingdom is changing. He's lost control. And God is reasserting himself one heart at a time. But he's guaranteed that I'm gonna change it all. And that's Easter Sunday. It's a promise God said long ago, promise to say, I'm gonna get rid of the problems and I'm gonna restore the good and most of all, I'm gonna give you a new life, a new relationship with me because I'm your father and I won't turn my back on you. And through all of human history, that promise was lingering, hanging over everything on an Easter Sunday. It was kept. It was kept. This last week, in fact, Good Friday, a good friend of mine was buried, put into the ground, just like Jesus was put into the ground on Good Friday. Praise God, on Easter Sunday, Jesus rose from the dead, and that gives me complete confidence that my friend will too. Everything's changed. That's not the end of his story. And when it's my turn, it's not the end of my story either, because everything's changed. In 1950, the Korean War broke out, and um, 
the UN called for various countries to, to come to the age of South Korea and a bunch of countries signed on. The US, of course, was one. The second country to sign on was Turkey. They sent a brigade of soldiers and they fought valiantly and did heroic deeds. And after one particularly brutal firefight, the Turkish soldiers were kind of collecting themselves and getting their bearings again. And there's a rustling in the bushes and they all train their weapons on it. But for some reason they don't fire. And a young, courageous sergeant, Suleiman, walks over to the bushes and parts them to see what lies beyond. And what he finds is a terrified five-year-old Korean girl in rags, shivering and scared out of her mind. Her family's been killed and she's alone in the world and his heart just melts and he takes her in. And she winds up living in the Turkish army camp. And he adopts her. She calls him Baba, Daddy. And she follows him around and she becomes the mascot. All of the guys in the whole brigade watch out for her. And it's this very touching and heartwarming place of love in the midst of the chaos of war. But the way war goes, that brigade is called home and a new one is coming. And Suleiman can't take her with him. It's not allowed to. Rips his heart out, but at a park just outside the school the Turkish government built for Korean war orphans, sobbing with tears running down his face, she the same, he says goodbye. She's six and he's 26 at the time. Suleiman's a simple man, he doesn't have great wealth, he doesn't have great um, connections or resources. Before he leaves her though, he says, I will come for you. We will see each other again. He has no idea how he's gonna keep that promise and over the years that follow it seems impossible. In fact, the school that she attends burns to the ground and all the records are destroyed and the kids are scattered all over the place and nobody knows who's where. How's he ever gonna find her? But he never gives up hope. There's a, there's a big earthquake in Turkey in 1999 and the Koreans send a rescue team and he's hoping she's among them. She's not. And how would he know? He remembers her at six. During the World Cup in 2002, which was in Seoul, Korea, he's watching every game riveted to his television set, not watching the players on the field, but looking into the stands, trying to pick out the face of some random 50-something-year-old Korean woman that he's only known when she was six, and yet he's desperately seeking her. 2010, there's a 60th anniversary commemoration in Korea, I mean in, um, in Turkey, and the Korean government sends a delegation and the Turkish government delegation is there and a bunch of soldiers and Suleiman's there and he tells his story. And it captures the attention of both the Turkish and Korean government and most importantly of a Korean journalist who says, I'm gonna find this girl, which was crazy. How would you ever find her? But she did. And um, in 2010, 85-year-old Suleiman pulls up in a car and gets out of the park where once there stood a Turkish school. And from another direction, 65-year-old Aylen is what he called her, pulls up in a car and gets out at the same park. 
and she just runs to him and throws her arms around him and they just melt into tears. And he says to her, it's over. It's over, girl. Girl, she's 65. It's over, girl, I'm here. I'm here. And then, at least in the movie that they made of their lives, there's a statement he makes that I find particularly poignant. Before she's found, Suleiman's actual daughter tries to shut down the search. Not because he doesn't want, she doesn't want her father to find this woman, but because she doesn't think it's possible. And he's 85, and she doesn't want him to literally die of a broken heart. He's frail. She tries to shut it down, and he turns to her, and he says these words. Fathers strive for their children. They keep their promises to their children. It's what they live for. On Easter Sunday, God kept a promise. It's what he lived for. I've made a promise to my children, and nothing will stand in the way. I will keep the promise for the children I've striven for all these years. And he raises his son from the dead, and everything changes in that moment. And now we've come full circle, back in Luke 24. The end, Jesus is talking to the whole group gathered in the evening, and he says, here's the plan of God. Christ would suffer. That happened on Good Friday. On the third day, he would rise from the dead. That happened on Easter Sunday, promise kept. Third thing, repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. And a few verses later, behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. Stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. The third piece of my plan is that this message of my love would get out to everyone everywhere and I want you to go take it, but you gotta wait until I empower you because that's the only way it's gonna work. From that upper room in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, they went out. Some through great struggle and hardship, many of them died taking this message. They took it first into the rest of Asia and Africa and then into Europe ultimately into the Americas and Australia, and today in thousands of languages on every continent, among almost every people group, there will be people who say he is risen and the response is he is risen indeed because they're celebrating a promise kept. And you're not here for, by random choice. God wants you to understand that. We've come full circle. Some of you may be here this morning and you're not exactly sure why you came. You made some choices and that's all part of the package, but God had something deeper in mind. And here's what he wanted you to hear. I lived for you and I died for you and I lived again to keep a promise that I made from the very beginning. I've kept the promise I love you, and I want you to be my child. Jesus was introduced by his friend in the book of John. 
The very beginning of the story there, it says, he, Jesus, came to his own and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Why are you here? Maybe, maybe today is the day that you face your father and he says, I love you. Will you receive the love? I've been working through all of history for this moment. Now here it is. I kept my promise. How will you respond? Some of you perhaps may be sitting there right now and you just, and something's going on inside. You're not even quite sure. Maybe you're like, yeah, that makes sense. There's a conviction. Or maybe it's like, ah, I'm troubled. I'm not sure what to do. Or maybe you're feeling kind of small and, and like, I, why would God want me? Or maybe, maybe you're not even sure what's going on inside, but something's going on inside. As we look at these verses, may I, may I just open your eyes to the fact that that's not, that's not heartburn, that's God. It's a holy heartburn. Right? In fact, did you catch that in this passage we've been looking at? Right In verse um, 32, after Jesus is left and his two friends are sitting there talking, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road and while he opened to us the scriptures? God's speaking to your heart right now. And he's saying, I kept the promise. It's over. I'm here. I want to embrace you. Will you be my child? That may be why you're here this morning, actually. That may be where the divine plan of God intersects with the choice that you made today. And this is a holy moment where you get to choose what you're gonna do with it. And you can respond, actually, to God's love in your heart right now. There's nothing fancy. It's just a heart-to-heart with the God who loves you enough to not only do Easter, but to do Good Friday before it. To send his son to die on the cross for your sin, for mine. And then to raise him to life, conquering death and sin and Satan and beginning a change that will last forever. And it's as simple as responding. And the the response, according to the passage we've been reading, is called repentance. That repentance would be preached in the world. What does that mean? It means a change of mind and heart. What does that mean? It means I stop being God. Uh, We probably don't think of it that way, but that's how each of us is trying to live. That's what Adam and Eve did the first time. Thanks for the garden, thanks for the world, thanks for making us like you. You're kinda cool, but we're gonna run things from here. Right? We call the shots, we decide what's best, we decide what's right, we decide our purpose, we get to choose the direction and everything about our lives, and that's not true. Oh, we have a lot of choice that factors in, but it's under God. I was never designed to bear the weight of full sovereignty. I'm not big enough for that, and neither are you. And the irony of that is in trying to be free, I become enslaved, and what I do is I try to dethrone God. It's like saying, God, I wish you were dead. I'm gonna be my own God. It will never work. And if you're honest, you already know that. It's not worked so far, has it? Didn't work for me. And I don't know anyone it has worked for because it's not something we're capable of. And the starting point is to surrender that ridiculous idea. And just say, I'm sorry, God. <laughs> There's only one, and that's you, not me. And I don't, I don't, 
I don't have any claim. I don't deserve anything from you. I probably deserve you being mad at me because I've made a mess of your world and of my life and a whole lot of things, even at my best. Don't quite cut it. And I have to be honest, often I'm not at my best. But I believe in Easter. I believe in Good Friday. I believe Jesus died and rose again for me. I believe you kept your promise. And I just want to be your child. Would you accept me? Would you forgive me? Would you make me your child? Something that happens in my heart. In fact, if that's where your heart is tracking right now, you are actually right now praying to God in your heart. And that's all that's necessary, really. If you are sincerely interacting with God and saying, I surrender, I trust you, please make me your child, forgive me, he'll do the rest. Fathers live to keep their promises to their kids. And God has lived with that in his mind, made a promise, I want to make you my child. I won't fail you. It's over, I'm here. Just respond. You know, if, if uh, you're responding in your heart to God, we want to be of some help to you. So if you have a card or can find a card, I'd love for you to give us enough contact information we can check in with you. And you can just mark a P on there to say, I prayed. You mean you said anything fancy from your mouth? It's that you said something sincere and powerful from your heart. You can put a P on there and we'll follow up with you. We're not going to harass you, but we'll answer some questions and help you get off onto the right foot with God, who is your father. To all who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. That's you you want. Maybe you're not quite sure and you just want to put a question mark there. That's fine. Just put a question mark. We'll follow up and have a conversation. Maybe you're here and, and saying, yeah, God's my father and that's changed everything. Why does God have me here today? Well, if he hasn't already revealed that to you as we've been talking, let me suggest maybe two responses. As you think about the fact that God has lived to keep a promise to you that he made so long ago. And he did the extraordinary thing of Good Friday and the cross, Easter Sunday in the empty tomb to say, I love you, I want you as my child. Maybe it's just to sit in that and say, that's amazing. God has chosen me and loves me. And I just want to celebrate. I just want to praise. I just want to worship. I just want to delight in that. Or maybe, maybe you find yourself in a particularly difficult spot where you're just fighting for faith and just remembering how a father like God is absolutely faithful and does not fail to keep his promises. We'll strengthen your faith and help you to renew your heart with him and say, okay, God, I need your help here. This is hard but I'm gonna go with you because I know that the circumstances and choices that are going on are intersected somewhere by your purposes. And I may not see them right now, but I know it's real. And I wanna walk with you in it. I'd like to ask the ushers to come. We're gonna take our offering. And if you have any communication that you want to give, you can use that card and drop it in. That'd be wonderful. Let me pray. Father, thank you for Easter, the resurrection. And the joy that we have 
and a father who keeps promises and pursues his children like you have done. May we just worship you fully with joy because of that. And you know where each of us is, Lord. Would you meet us there and take us to where you want us to be. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.